listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and Rick. And today, we are going to be talking about books. We are going to continue the discussion on um, the influential books that we've read that we think are were actually worth it. And as you, if you listened to last episode, uh, some books that were totally garbage that you should not take what is written in them so seriously. I just like to say that uh, books are boring and who wants to read? God, who does that? You know, I've actually got more into books as I've got older. It's just strange. I only used to read books that were practical and I've got more into reading fiction, which is mm. not something I used to do. I think it's all about the uh, choose your own adventure that got me started. I don't know if you had those in uh, the Goosebumps the, books. Goosebumps, yeah, I had those. Ireland or the UK area, but you know, South here, Africa, here, but here Port in Port America, Snyder. here in America, we had choose your own adventure, and those were really fun because you read a little story, and then at the bottom of a page, after you read like a segment, you got a choice, and if you did one yep. thing, you had to go to page two. If you did something else, you had to go to page one ninety six. It's like, oh, I'm going to 196 right now. It's like, you've been eaten by werewolves. Like, the ah. end. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, oh, yeah. I think I reread it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd news. Microsoft Big Blue purchased Activision Blizzard. What the bloop? <laughs> it used to be that Activision Blizzard was not able to be purchased because it was doing so financially well. And today it is so plagued by bad PR and you know it has a player base that is really upset with it they have battle.net which is this amazing it really it's like its own network you've got every single game that blizzard has is now connected to battle.net and each game you can incentivize the player base to restart diablo or restart world of warcraft because of whatever some incentive that you got in overwatch i think it's really amazing and incredible and great infrastructure and it has such a i don't want to say a toxic community but i'll say that the uh, blizzard people Noob. don't like to listen to their community and they trained their community to be toxic i think battlenet i hated it when it came out i thought it was stupid why am i logging into another site to play a game mm -hmm. And it also it also crashed all the time and was slow and didn't work. And you're just like, I just want my game. But uh, I mean, they fixed it and now it's it's good now, at least when I tried it. But Battle.net was really cool because, and like you said, they've they've sort of synergized all their games together. So yep. now, like, say you're playing, I don't know, maybe you're playing World of Warcraft, a new expansion comes out. Well, they always have like the extra super duper duper collector's deluxe edition for the world for only 199 dollars mm -hmm. which you can buy digital for only 179 yes and well i think you can only buy a digital <laughs> these uh, days yeah, probably. <laughs> but the thing was is i mean now if you're if you're like a crazy world of warcraft person you'd buy it but they put things in there for other games like, oh, you'll get a skin for this and you'll get a mount for this other game and you'll get this extra piece or gaming piece or card on their card game. So other pe people who weren't really interested in World of Warcraft would spend that money to get the super secret stuff for their other game besides World of Warcraft. Exactly. And I think that's probably one of the most genius marketing tactics I've ever seen. And, you know, Blizzard has a huge community and I will say that they have earned a lot of they've their games are quite nostalgic at this point you know 
War, I mean, the Warcraft franchise by itself, you know, with World of Warcraft and how many people played that game. I mean, it had an active player base of 13 million people at one point, each paying 20 bucks a month. That is a lot of money being it's printed. Cash cow. Yeah. I was thinking back. I think World of Warcraft actually taught me my first marketing lessons because in order to get arena partners, you had to basically market yourself. You had to convince people that you were worthy for you to join your guild full of like PvP elitists. Yeah. And then, you know, do arena with them. So you had to like you had to learn how to like, you know, network and communicate and market yourself. And then uh, you know, you eventually craft like a lot of PvPers craft like montage videos. And then you had to craft that and then market that as well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the time you'd interact with people on the Blizzard forums and, and things. So I think that was really my, my first taste of marketing, even though I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but that mm-hmm. was what I, I was doing. I just spent so much time in Dorota, dueling, 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 build up a reputation that yep. eventually got invited to like the, the best PvP guild on the server and then wow. was able to get top arena armor. That's that funny. Way. You know, the business, I feel like this is actually quite relevant because the business lesson that I, my first business that I owned was a guild in World of Warcraft. <laughs> and I, I'll say it, it actually felt quite a lot like a business. I just didn't get paid very much. I did make some really cool friends in high places, but um, the one, so what happened was I, I was like a high level officer in a guild's total, I feel like a super nerd right now. This is crowdfunding nerd. So I'm cool to just be me, I guess. Oh, I think there's a um, video of you trying to slay next year. <laughs> it's a 50 DKP <laughs> minus. Oh, many whelps left side basically i ended up getting passed up for one of the uh we'll say the guild leader positions when i was the raid leader and i was the pvp kind of uh battleground leader and other things like that and like going to college just doing nothing other than wrestling going to school and playing world of warcraft and sleep was like not even a thing at that time so um i ended up leaving because I just felt disrespected and I created my own guild. Well, all the PVPers left with me and I ended up creating a, a guild with basically 14 of the best players in on that server. What was it uh, called? Best PVPers. It was called Asylum. So, yeah, because one of the guys was completely crazy. I would have gone for Fluffy Bunnies. It was basically this guy, his name's Law. We actually, he's my buddy in real life now who I met from World of Warcraft. He uh, was a complete crazy person, um, but we would... We never lost a, a game when this guy would lead. So he was just so good. And he brought all of his friends and that kind of thing. And uh, to lead a group of people like that, I we had like 50 or 60 people in our guild. And we were just extremely feared among everyone else. And it was it was so fun to be the leader of that. It was, it was incredible. And it really set the stage for me on that entire server as like a major player that people knew. And, you know, it was, it was just fun. And, you know, the drama that would come up and other things like that would just, you know, I felt like it was, it actually prepared me to start a business because I felt like I had to run looking back. I had to run that guild like a business, you know, it's like, Hey, you're not showing up. It's like, I've been sick with the coronavirus or whatever. I don't know. I'm um, pretty sure that some employers were looking for uh, raid leaders, yeah. like the job description. Oh, if, you've, if you're a raid leader, you can, you know, you will we'll interview you because you have all the same skill set that requires like a position in this job. So it's just, it is interesting that, you know, you can develop skills playing with these games. <laughs> well, yeah. in, in the future, according to all the books I've read about the future, um, we're... <laughs> We're all going to be in VR lands and VR suits and VR pods and 
uh, guilds are going to be like corporations and yeah, we'll have to all report to a guild leader sometimes. So yeah, building up those skills is actually very important for the, for our future. For the metaverse. Uh, <laughs> the metaverse, yeah. the virtual world. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, let's, let's hop into the books because um, I, we went through a lot of mine and Rick's, but Sean, you had a bunch of them on the, on the list that we didn't really get to last time. Yeah, sure. So I might bring up this one, the challenge of sale by Matthew Dixon and Brandt Adamson. This was a book that was recommended to me by my father-in-law, who's sort of a big shot salesman. He's worked for Salesforce and he's won like international awards. He's worked for Microsoft and he works for like other big tech companies. So he recommended this book. And I suppose the, the takeaway point is that they really stress solution selling. So in order to sell a solution, you have to understand your customer and then provide a solution that meets their needs. And it's called the challenge of sale because the, the goal is to not just know the needs of your customer, but then actually present that solution. Maybe challenge is a bit strong, but the word is to encourage them to then adopt your solution. So that was, that was very interesting. And I suppose when it has a transition to the board games is that the solution of your game is that it is fun, that you have to first establish that this is going to be worth their time, to be worth their investment of energy to, to you know look at this. And then also their, uh, finally their, their money. So that's the solution that you're selling and you have to be able to communicate that. And that's something to keep in mind when selling board games. Yeah. You know, I think that with uh, like selling board games, you know, the, the customer is quite in intelligent. Um, I'll say, I'll say this, you have different types of customers. Crowdfunding customers are very, very intelligent. I don't think that selling them fun is going to be quite enough. You have to more like quantify, qu qualify what you mean by fun, right? And, uh, you know, what type of experience will you have? And, um, you know, is this game, you know, I guess it, you know, kind of goes back to opportunity cost a little bit. Like, does this game, is it, is it going to provide a, a superior experience, one that I'm looking for, or will that game provide a superior experience because they're going to look between one offer or the other, you know, one game or the other to potentially purchase this or that. And so to talk about what type of, experience they'll have, I think is really a, a core part of selling your, your project. Like, just like you're saying, I think that in other places, for example, like, um, Barnes and Noble or, or Walmart or target, uh, retail shelves, fun goes a lot further than like just by itself. It's like, you know how they used to, you know, do it with all of the, the old school games at Toys R Us where, you would always have a kid that has like the craziest look on his face, like the craziest look of happiness and joy and elation. It's like crossfire. I just fired a thing. Like I'm extremely like my jaw's about to fall off because it's like my mouth is open so wide. And that was always like on the back of the box. And I think that, you know, people in general, people like that are less educated. So they're like, you know, this looks fun for my kid. People, on you know that are crowdfunding or looking to invest into crowdfunding projects they're looking more for themselves and and they i think that the market is mature enough that people really want a particular type of experience or a particular type of game you know they might they might just want like they might just say well i don't have a deck builder in my collection and this is a deck builder and i jive with the theme so then uh -huh. you're providing a solution for like a collector so yes i suppose the key takeaways to understand your audience and then provide that solution Another book I'd recommend would be The Personal MBA by Josh Kufman. And it's just a great resource to have because it it's just has a really good index at the back. So if you want to 
find a particular term, you, you know, you can find it quite easily. And it's basically an MBA in a book. <laughs> so yeah. it covers basically everything you know about business. It's laid out very well so that you can basically search what you're looking for. I know that there's one particular instance that stood out to me. He basically has like a Q&A section, which helps you work out if there's a demand or a market for your product. So it helps you ask some basically some pretty challenging questions because you don't want to put a lot of work into something when, you know, mm-hmm. oh, right, that actually isn't a demand for this. So... And, Isn't and that a, the truth? That is a, a really painful thing to hear sometimes. The reality is that some products, there is not a demand for them. Um, I will say this, that, you know... Facebook Facebook meta? Yeah, seriously. Um, I will say this, that you can find like 300 backers for just about anything. If you prepare and that kind of thing, you will... I mean, you should have no problem funding if you are properly prepared, if you have that email list and, and all of that, right? You may get leads at 10 bucks a piece or something. You may need to do a lot more work, you know, just more boots on the ground type work, asking your friends and family for support and that kind of thing. I think that there's a market for everything, but I don't think all products should be made. You know, there are certain products that just, I don't think they, they really have, you know, I guess we do turn down, sometimes we turn down products because we don't feel like we could effectively market them because the the, the demand isn't there, right? And mm. so it's really, you know, and sometimes our, our clients, you know, or, you know, prospective clients will argue their case and I welcome them to argue the case that it, there is a market and sometimes they prove us wrong. We take on projects and we're like, okay, if you think so, and, and in essence, and uh, and they, they prove they prove us wrong because they know their market better than we do, which is a really, really good thing to have in, in a client. But um, I think that certain products like Deliverance, going back to that, I I wanted to make sure that it was worthwhile to invest into this Christian board game because up until that point, every single Christian entertainment product uh, will we'll say excluding like movies or whatever had just been very, very poorly received. I didn't want to spend, you know, $50,000 on something that was going to be very poorly received. I was determined that it needed to be awesome, that it needed to look good, that it needed to, you know, just have that, have that clear and obvious quality to the art and everything else like that. But if the demand wasn't there, then it would be an exercise in foolishness because I would be in deep debt. I would probably have a game that was like, okay. And that nobody wanted. And, uh, I you would have wasted a lot of time. Oh, it's just, I would have, I would have crippled my family, you know, beyond that, you know, putting in all the money that was required. I mean, I, I think I've said this before, but I was in about $44,000 of debt, uh, personal home equity line of credit debt to, to make that game. When we went to Kickstarter, I, I trusted in my product that much. And I was um, determined that this is going to make it because I did the research. I built 1100 emails without spending a penny on ads. I did, uh, you know, and 900 people in a Facebook group. And I knew that people wanted this. And if I could just get the word out in a different way or more powerful way, maybe spending money on that, that it would be uh, received well enough. And so I took, it was a risk. It was certainly not without its, uh, its risk, but you know, it, it makes it a lot easier when you, you know, fund 
315,000, uh, that home equity line of credit was paid off right away. Just make sure that people want what it is that you have. I got a book here that I, I just found it. I haven't read it in a long time because back in maybe like, you know, five, 10 years ago, I actually was interested in making my own board game. Now I just, I don't have the grit to do it. Speaking of grit, that's in the previous, uh, previous episode, uh, chapter notes. Um, but anyway, um, one of the books I actually got a long time ago that actually is really good. And it talks actually has a whole chapter dedicating to finding the right persona for your game. Um, it's a book, uh, made by, uh, Kobold marketing, not, not Kobold, the Dungeons and Dragons monster, but it's Kobold. They actually did a multi-book series on marketing games and book four is actually dedicated strictly to board game design. In fact, let me get the title of it real quick here. It is called the Kobold guide to board game design. And it's written by Mike Salinker and the book is actually separated. (laughs) And I don't think we've talked about any books yet on, you know, board game design. Um, The book's actually separated in four parts. The first part's the concepting, and and there's a chapter about, you know, whose game is it anyway, is what they call the chapter. Um, It also talks about metaphor versus mechanics, talks about how to pace, you know, pacing your gameplay. Part two's design, how to design it, beautiful game mechanics, strategy, luck, et cetera, et cetera. Part three is about development, where you think about, you know, exponentially your game, Stealing fun. Um, it's not done until they say it's done. Those are some of the chapters there. And then the last part is about presentation and, you know, producing a pitch that would sell well and then actually getting your game published. So it's a really, really good book. It just doesn't have the crowdfund or it doesn't have the crowdfunding part, but it's got all the other parts in there. And in fact, it's even got a chapter uh, on, on my favorite, everything you always wanted to know about prototypes. Mm-hmm. And what I know is that they're expensive. especially especially made in america america but it was a really great book um it's it's got a hundred and something pages in it and i read a while back and i just found it again perusing through my my amazon list and it was a really really good book you know i'll add um there's a there's a pair of books that were written by gabe barrett um of the board game design lab that I think are super valuable for people on on this front. One is more about board game design, and the other one is actually about um, Kickstarter advice, which I think is is very good. The first one is board game design advice from the best in the world. In essence, what Gabe did is he interviewed over a hundred designers on how to get the, you know, how they get the game out of their head and onto the table is is the way that it's written and. There was some very useful advice there, some advice in the marketing arena as well. But um, what he did later was he did a, um, a book called Board Game Kickstarter Advice from the Best in the World. And he interviewed a bunch, again, a bunch of uh, successful Kickstarter creators in the board game space and did a whole bunch of stuff on shipping and manufacturing and prototype creation and whatnot and guess who wrote the chapter on marketing spoiler alert it was me do you get a royalty uh no but i felt good about myself jamie stegmeyer also has a book on kickstarter doesn't he yes um he has uh so he's a very successful i I don't want to call him an early adopter of kickstarter but he's he sure is a great case study to look at because he went from funding it humbly for a game that is quite popular now called Viticulture to a uh, very popular game, which hit Kickstarter called Scythe, which we all love. And then he stopped using Kickstarter because he, you know, he basically made a whole lot more money through distribution. Yeah. He kind of, in a, in a way, his, his business model just didn't work with uh, Kickstarter anymore. And I think um, he also talked about this, about how 
it was just really tough to deal with, you know, frontline consumers, which can kind of be fickle and damaging, you know, difficult to deal with. You broke him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He just, I think, didn't really find enjoyment out of crowdfunding in the same way he does. He actually does pre-orders and is very successful on his website. But, But yeah, he's got this crowdfunding advice book. It's like a PDF download you can buy. So speaking of kind of what what it is that we have been um, alluding to, I think leadership is such a critical element of this whole process because you are the chief speaker for your project and your leadership kind of determines, I guess, the ceiling of your project and your, you know, your ability to influence and your ability to lead your backers, you know, or your, your fans really matters. And um, there's a book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell, and John C. Maxwell, as he is known, John Maxwell to his best friends. There's the very first law. It's called The Law of the Lid. It is, in essence, oh, by the way, this book is a really short read, um, super easy to read and uh, fast to read and very impactful on me. But The Law of the Lid is basically your leadership ability is the lid at which all other abilities can can rise, but they can rise no higher, or the level of which all the other abilities can rise, but rise no higher. So let's say, you know, if your leadership ability on a scale of one to 10 was rated at a seven, then every other skill that you have could only rise to a six. Oh, here's a book. We Maybe we need to talk about this. Uh, it's called The Five-Day Weekend. And I think, I, I think we need a five-day weekend at work, Andrew. Um. Mm. <laughs> down. <laughs> Tell me how. Just kidding. <laughs> they have like the four-hour work week, and um, you know things like that. Just yeah, how to get more done effect. in less time. Yep. No, it's a decent one to read. Just don't sleep. Yeah. I have one, and I hate the hate the title of the book. But the reason I bought this book because I listened to a podcast, and the the guy who wrote the book was being interviewed. It's like, oh, I should buy this guy's book because he sounds like he knows. It sounds like an interesting read. And I was like, oh, that's a really dumb name for, for like a book. And it's Six Months to Six Figures by Peter Vug. And that's not that bad of a title. I've heard worse. Uh, well, I think it, it, it promises something that it kind of to delivers. So I think it's that title in that way. But he he brings up some good points. And the one point he brings up is might, might be applicable to you, Richard, is information overload, where we're so saturated with information on the internet, we can get it so quickly that the danger is that we just are con- continually educating ourselves and then we don't actually apply any of the knowledge that we take in. So he, his point was slow down, take in information and rather apply one thing and actually do it than you know, read all these books and apply nothing. Yep. Very, very, very true. Especially in my weight loss journey, I know exactly what I need to do to lose weight in like 500 different ways to do it. In fact, uh, what I've done this year is uh, I like, like you said, stick to one program. So everyone's got their ideas on how, how to do things. Um, and since the beginning of this year, I've stuck to only one program. And if I don't like it later on, I can switch to another one program, but it's been working and I've, I've lost, uh, I think I've lost uh, 10 pounds so far in a couple of weeks and awesome. everything's going great. So yeah, information yeah. overload. Yeah. Everything's on the internet. Everyone has their own opinion. Everyone has different ways, different roadmaps to get to that, that goal. And some will work for people, some won't, and some, you know, there, some of them will all work, but there's so many different ways. But yeah, pick pick the one road and stay on it, and don't 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 be like me, ADD, and jump jump off the ship and swim to a train, and then go to a to a car, and then go to a plane, and then end up going in circles. Mm-hmm. 
you know, um, I'll say that the, the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right, is something I've always thought about is that knowledge is knowing how to do something and wisdom is like cor correctly applying that knowledge, you know, in the way that it's meant to be used, right? And I, I think that some of the, you know, the most important things in our lives that we neglect a little bit, we, we kind of know what it is that we should be doing, but we're not applying those things, you know, for me and weight loss, like my number one rule if I want to lose weight, my number one rule is only water. I only drink water. I don't drink anything else other than water, no soda, no coffee, no tea, nothing, only water. And uh, it's probably an overbroad rule, but it, it's really, really helpful. And then the second thing that I always do is uh, something my brother-in-law told me. He said, if you want to lose weight, figure out something healthy to eat and uh, for lunch or whatever and eat the same thing every day be comfortable eating I re the same thing. I remember day. when you were doing that. In fact, you were on like this Chipotle streak. Dude, I and had a Chipotle bowl in as many ways as you could possibly have it. it and now was, they got some cool stuff. I haven't been there in a while, but I saw ads for like, uh, was it vegetarian? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, some really good vegetarian options. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. We have this place called uh, Freebirds right next to us now where we just moved. It's like Chipotle on steroids. Um, not literally, figuratively. Uh, but the those <laughs> those various meats they have like prime rib and they have all sorts of different kinds of meat and whatnot and um, but yeah it's just when I follow that man I I must have I was actually getting compliments from um, you know professional athletes telling me wow you're Andrew you're losing a lot of weight really quickly I think I actually ended up losing like over twenty pounds um, I, you know I I lost almost all the weight that I had to lose. Just only water and only Chipotle with like, you know, it was it's very cool. And then and then of course working out that kind of. Thing. That's because it probably distressed your uh, digestive system. Just came right out. I'll no tell you what, I absorb. wasn't enjoying myself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, that and that if if I wrote a book, this this would be it. I mean, so you figure out what you what you want as your goal, and then you figure out the tasks you need to get to that goal, like and just pick one or two of those tasks that are important. Make those your daily tasks. Just focus on one thing. If you focus on the uh, actual task itself and completing it, the rest will figure itself out. You know, for example, um, I do have some side blogs I have on the internet and my goal is to uh, make some, a little bit of income and in advertising from my blogs. But in order to get that advertising, I have to write articles and to do that, I got to write every day. And if I'm not writing every day, then I'm not getting it done. So if I just sit down and write an article a day, eventually by the end of the year, I already have over 300 articles. So, I mean, it adds up. The little tasks that are measurable that will go to your goal, you just keep doing them and you'll get there. In fact, I believe that's one more book. It's called The One Thing. Uh, <laughs> and that book is by Gary Keller. Yes. The, uh, he, he says the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. And it's talking about figuring out what that one thing is and just doing it and doing it. And then it, it becomes a, a big thing after a while. Sounds so, like John yeah. Maxwell's The Law of Process, which is leadership develops daily, but not in a day. Right? John Maxwell is like the uh, he's like the Tom Clancy of of. Uh, uh, Christian leadership. He like writes like a, what a book a month these days. He's got like two hundred books. <laughs> I think he just signs his name at the end of a book that someone else writes. At this point, you know, and that, that there's a lot of those that do that too. In fact, a lot of John Clancy books, I believe, are also not John Clancy. Yeah, Tom Clancy. But, uh, yeah. Do you know what you guys need? You guys need an Epic Quest book. 
Oh, snap. The bound. This That's pretty you, cool looking. This is how you get things done. It's a leather. A le- so I'm looking at a leather. It's almost like a little mini leather portfolio that can almost fit in your pocket. It looks like a little bigger pocket with a leather bound strap that goes around it. And what's inside this magical book? It's just um, it's got um, what parchment book booklets that you can you know take in and out notes. So oh, awesome. so you, so you can actually swap them out if you need. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So have to add that. Key. Make sure you add that in the uh, the notes for the uh, Amazon uh, Amazon Amazon books. store. Yeah. Make sure you include our affiliate link. Just kidding. We don't have one. Do one? <laughs> All these books we should make an Amazon affiliate. Yeah, we'll make a whole like two dollars from all the affiliates. Yeah, it's like it's like two pennies per book. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you got that's to, another story itself. Amazon commissions. Whew, you've gone way and, down. And you have to sell like a hundred books in sixty days in order to still be in their program. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, that's a different story, but yeah, Amazon has. Uh, I've, I mean, they're at the point where they don't, <laughs> I mean, they still use affiliate marketers, but they don't really don't, they don't need them because now they're so, so big brand. It's, you know, and they've, and they've reflected that in their uh, affiliate uh, uh, paybacks. So yeah, it's, it keeps dropping and dropping. Some things are less than 1% or, or we're at 1%. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah. So like, Oh, look, I, someone bought a thousand dollar Amazon and I'm getting $10. Um, so <laughs> an Amazon affiliate money. It's not what it used to be, huh? No, in fact, that's uh, market. It's it's funny because uh, marketing, uh, you know, if marketing companies now, like they show ads on your site, are actually paying way more than Amazon does now. So everyone's switching from Amazon to marketing, and also Google uh, in the last few uh, updates have uh, really hurt sites that are mostly Amazon affiliates because you know they Google knows that it's just you're just selling stuff, mm-hmm. and so the, all those sites have gotten dinged. A lot of people who have had Amazon links are saying they're getting dinged because of their Amazon links now. Huh. Wow. And that was a nerdy side note on SEO <laughs> from SEO wizard, Rick. Awesome. So you want to wrap up, read your books, read them now, read them now, or you'll turn into a cow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> MC wizard. <laughs> MC That's wizard. all the time we have for crowdfunding nerds. If you don't like us, you're a big fat turd. Yeah. <laughs> That's the word. Okay. Haven't you heard? <laughs> anyway, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. Uh, if you like this episode and you want to listen to some other ones, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Also, if you have any questions or want to get more involved in the crowdfunding community, we have a great Facebook page. Just do a search for uh, Crowdfunding Nerds Marketing. We got tons of people on there. Community. Say what? Who? What? I changed, oh, we got I changed it to Crowdfunding Nerds Community. Crowdfunding nerds community. We are uh, it cha- the the title changes every week, so might as well just just type in crowdfunding nerds. You'll you'll find us. Uh, <laughs> next week it'll be crowdfunding for on multiple platforms for people who like to promote games. So that'll be the new title of it next week. Um, so yeah, just do a search for crowdfunding nerds uh, and join our lovely community. I think Andrew does ask a couple questions on there to join. There's a secret secret uh, answer. You have to put in to join the membership. Uh, mm-hmm. What's what's this? What's those secret questions you have? It's um, do you do you love crowdfunding nerds? It's like yes. Is it or, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a three boxes. One of three boxes you have to check. So there is a little <laughs> bit of effort that you have to do to sign up. So it's not just click the join button. Uh, there is a a strategic uh, screening on there, uh, but it's not hard. It's really basic. Have a great day. See you next week. Stay nerdy.